Hey, glad that you're here. Um, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good. I hope you did. I hope you got to enjoy some time with family and friends or just have some time to reflect on all that we're thankful for. Everything we just kind of sang um, just kind of wells up in our heart, this attitude of gratitude. And we want to be a people that reflect that more and more and more. And so thrilled that you're here tonight. And we are, if you're new, uh, we're kind of wrapping up a parenting series, which I know when you hear that, you're like, I'm not a parent. That is a parent, uh, that you're not a parent, uh, for some of you. And, and this idea, this, look, I know this is some principles that I hope will go across lines, but for especially for those of you who are parents, uh, I hope that these three questions we've been trying to wrestle are, uh, around and kind of answer and kind of pin them to the ground a little bit to say, look, if I can look at parenting through these three filters, it can really help in the investment I want to make into my kid, into the next generation. All of us have people who are in a younger generation that we want to pour and invest into, and so we've been kind of asking these three key questions. Here's the question we said, okay, the first week, what am I doing to enhance my relationship with my kid, or enhance my relationship with this next generation, the people that I care about? What am I doing to, to grow that? Kimberly looked last week, this, what am I doing to advance their relationship with God? We looked at this idea of you, you can't give what you don't possess, and so part of this is growing my own faith and growing my own walk with God and beginning to own that, that I can actually have something to pass along and to pass forward to them. And tonight I want to look at this question of what are we doing to influence the relationships that my kids or the next generation have and to help them leverage their, their life to be an influence for God and for his good in this world. And so we want to kind of wrestle around that a little bit. And to get there, we want to look at some different passages of scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn uh, to Proverbs 22, verse 6. We're going to get there in a minute. Uh, we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6 last week, and that was the great Shema that the Israel people would say, hey, the Lord your God is one, and you're to, to pass this on to the next generation. Kimberly kind of unpacked that a little bit. If you missed it, go back and look at it. But the whole point of that is to say from one generation to the next, your job is to point God out. Point them toward God and his activity and his wisdom and his insight so that we're passing this along practically in everyday life. If it's just a Sunday thing, then friends, it's just a Sunday thing. It's a habit that happens once a week. And so this idea that we want it to be a habit, that it's a daily habit that I'm talking about God and his ways and, and his wisdom and how I view life through his lens uh, all the time, that I'm pointing people toward God, pointing, pointing kids toward God all throughout my life and through my living. I'm talking about God, his wisdom, and his ways is a normal part of my conversations. If we get to the place where we talk about God, it feels abnormal, then we're at the wrong place. And we need to have godly conversations as a normal part of our conversation with our kids. That's part of investing in the next generation. What am I doing to enhance their relationship with God? It means I'm working on that. So the Bible has a lot to say. Deuteronomy 6 is a great passage to kind of go back to and one to look at. Proverbs 22 says this, Train up a child in the way that he or she should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Now, that is probably the most famous verse taken from Proverbs. And I know instantly there is going to be some pushback because you may know some people, you may be in that situation. You're like, I tried, I did this, and my kids went wayward, they're, they're not walking with God, and kind of God's a, an afterthought for them. And, and I know people who have said, look, I, I tried to do this and it didn't work out. This is not a math equation, okay? 
This is not math. This is relationship. Uh, how many of you can agree that relationships are messy and not linear, right? How many of you have a perfectly linear relationship with somebody? <laughs> no, you don't, right? Relationships are like this or sideways or circular. There's, like, it's messy, isn't it? That's why we said the very first week, parenting is tough. It's just tough. There's no easy way around it. And, and so this is a challenge. Here's what this verse really means. When you look at the Hebrew word for this, the Hebrew word is henak. That's just a fun word to say, henak. Sounds like you're hacking up something, I don't know. But henak literally means this idea of dedication, to dedicate something. They would use this word when they dedicated the altar, dedicated the temple, dedicated uh, their firstborn to the Lord, and said, this is what it means. It's to dedicate your children to the Lord. To say, God, this is bigger than just a task of, hey, we created this, now what? This is about, God, this is your gift, and so I want to dedicate him, her, to the Lord. This is your gift that you've given me. And it's our job to unwrap and to train and to invest. The only time the word hanak is used for the vernacular of train is here in Proverbs 22. Everywhere else in the scripture, it is exactly this idea of dedicate. But here, I think it's almost this flipped version to say, dedicate yourself as well as dedicating your children to train them up. Listen, that takes a long process. That takes a lot of investment. That's why parenting is tough. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not linear. It's not a math problem. It's a hard relationship. It takes over and over investment, time and energy and investment and influence and intentionality and interaction to say, I want to help train up my child in the way they should go. It's this idea of dedicating where you would put them at the beginning of the race and you would say, okay, I, I'm training them up. I'm pointing them in the direction I would like for them to go. Does that mean they're going to go in that direction? No. Why? Because they're not a robot, right? You can't program. That's why this is tough. It's not easy. But the best that you can, what you can do is to try to aim in the right direction, to have the right to direct, uh, trajectory, to kind of get this going. It takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of interaction. So train up your child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from that, meaning the investments that you make, though may be dormant, they are not forgotten. So for some of you who may be here and you're like, man, I, I did my best, and it's not going the direction I had hoped or that I prayed or I wished for. I'm really sorry. Because I know the heartache that comes with that. When you wish for someone, whether that's the next generation or maybe you just have a good friend that you wish something better for them and their life is just kind of going sideways and kind of off the rails and you don't know how to fix it because you can't. Because you can only fix you. You can't fix someone else, but you can pray, and you can love, and you can direct, and you can encourage, and you can point out in a way that hopefully is received. Those are what you can do. And so I know the challenge here is to train up a child in the way they should go. Uh, when they're young, that takes great intentionality. It's, that's why spiritual conversations need to be a normal thing, not an abnormal thing or not an adjunct thing. 
and there's a normal process that you go through. You're making investments long term. Does that mean there may be some sideways turns here? Yeah, there probably will be. But guess what? You probably had some sideways turns, right? If you're just honest with yourself. And there's probably some sideways movement in your own life. And so this idea of this being a math problem and this works out perfectly, no. But this is general in the sense that as we intentionally invest in this process, good things can happen. And even if they lay dormant for a while, they're still there. And the Holy Spirit continues to, can ignite that again and work in that. That's why we continue to partner with him in prayer. So there's lots of verses that have some wisdom and insight for us. There's also some principles, some characters that we see in the Bible. And it's interesting when you look back and you see people. How many of you remember Joseph from the Old Testament, right? So if you're, if you're not familiar with Joseph, Joseph has a lot of brothers. And uh, he, there's an interesting dynamic that goes on in his family that you don't really recognize at first. But what you see, I'm going to read it to you in a minute. And I want you to listen for the dysfunction that's here. Because I don't know if you know this or not, the Bible actually is filled with lots of dysfunction. Which is really encouraging because how many of us are filled with dysfunction? Right, that's all of us, right? <laughs> because there isn't never been a perfect family. I want you to know that. Your family is not perfect. You may be really healthy, and that's good. That's what you want. But you're not perfect. Neither is our family. And so when you study the life of Joseph, what's interesting is you see this weird dysfunction at the beginning, and then he seems to get things worked out in the end. But if you don't pay attention to the beginning, you kind of miss it. And I want you to see it because I think there's some interesting principles here for us. So as you think through Joseph's story, uh, here's the great truth for us as we look at this. We can all get better relationally, okay? We can all get better relationally in how we interact with the next generation, how we invest in the next generation, how we invest in our friends and family that we have. Just listen for the dysfunction. Here we go. Ready? This is Genesis 37, verse 3. Now, Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, loved Joseph more than the other sons. Period. We're already off the rails, right? We haven't even started this story, and it's already starting to go sideways. Why? Because there's preferential treatment. I tell my kids that they're my favorite, but I tell all three of them they're my favorite because I want them to argue about it at my funeral, okay? But I tell all three of them that. Here's the deal. Jacob loved Joseph more than the others. Because he had been born to him in an old age, he had made an ornate robe for him. He made him the coat of many colors. Maybe you've heard of that play, right? This is, this is Jacob. He's got, uh, or this is Joseph. He's got this great coat that's awesome, and his brothers can see him. When his brothers saw him, that their father loved him more than any other, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. Do you see the dysfunction going on? It gets better. Joseph has a dream. And when he tells his brothers this dream, they hated him all the more. That's verse 5. It just keeps escalating. Verse 6, he says this. He said to them, I had this dream. We were binding sheaves out of grain in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while all of your sheaves bowed down to it. Hmm. How do you think that came across have you ever tried that with your siblings? Hey, I had this dream where I'm awesome and you're not. In fact, you love my awesomeness because you lack. 
Try it next Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, <clears throat> his brother said to him, verse 8, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Lots of dysfunction, right? Now, if you know Joseph's story, his brothers try to kill him. But then one brother says, well, we can't really do that. That sounds like really bad. Let's just sell him into slavery. And so they sell him into slavery in Egypt, and off he goes. They bring back a robe, the, the robe, covered in sheep's blood, and they try to pass off to the father that he was killed by a wild animal. See the dysfunction? See, there's no perfect family. Now, you follow the story through years and years and years later, and God actually fulfills this dream. Joseph raises up, and he becomes second in command of all Egypt. Incredible drought happens and famine that takes place, and the brothers are actually sent to Egypt to try to get food because they're out. And they're there face-to-face with Joseph. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he actually interacts, not at first, but he gets it right at the end. And he makes peace, and they restore the relationship. Now, it's messy at the beginning. And it's messy a little bit toward the end. But he does get it right. Why? Because we can all get better relationally. That's the truth. We can work at this. We see this transition happen with Joseph. What we desire is a healthy family. What we desire is healthy relationships. And that means we have to understand why we do what we do, and we have to try to understand why people do what they do. There's been a lot of research since probably the early, uh, say, mid-'80s and on, on emotional intelligence. If you've never read anything about it, um, Daniel Goldman wrote a book called uh, Primal Leadership, where he speaks a lot about emotional intelligence. This is just kind of emotional intelligence for dummies. Uh, It's a quick book that looks at this. Emotional intelligence, in a way, uh, when I started doing research on it, is think of it in four quadrants. Uh, It's trying to understand kind of this self-awareness, this Um, self-management, understanding my own emotions and how I deal with them, this social awareness of what's going on with other people around me, and social management. How do I help fit into that scenario and manage my way through it? Not manipulative, but this idea of managing the social situations that I'm in. So self-awareness, understanding why you do what you do. That is one of the greatest gifts you can give your children. I'm telling you right now. So my mom passed away about 12 years ago. One of the greatest gifts she gave me is when I was a kid, she had this thinking chair. I did not like the thinking chair. And I may have shared this story before. Um, But in it, when I would do something, what was manipulative or against my brother, or I would kind of do something sly, try to get away with it, all that kind of stuff, she would say, hey, I need you to go sit in the thinking chair until you can tell me why you did what you did. And I would go, that's worse than time out, okay? Because you actually have to think and you have to communicate back. Like, I just want to go draw. Can I just go draw? Can I have crayons and paper? No, no. I need you to tell me why you did that. So here's what I would do. I would sit in the chair and I would think up stories of why I did what I did. And I would come back and I would tell my mom, well, I did it because of this. And she'd say, no, that's not why. Go back to the chair. What? 
And I would sit there because I'm stubborn. And I'd try it again and again. And finally, I would come and I would say, well, I, I did that to my brother because he did this to me and I just, I lost control of my emotions. And she'd say, yep, that's why you did it. Okay, you can go play now. Huh? Like you just wanted the truth? That's what you wanted? And when I got into my 20s, here's what I, I realized. My mom, long before people wrote about this idea of self-awareness, taught me to understand why I do what I do. One of the greatest gifts you can give to the next generation, to your friends, one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself is at least be honest about why you do what you do. So many of us try to hide it. So many of us try to think of a game plan to get around it, to say, well, no, it's really this, or my past made me do that. Okay, well, maybe it had influence, but you know why you did what you did. And self-awareness is this idea of becoming aware of why do I do what I do. So self-awareness is key to helping to understand this. Self-management is this idea of understanding my emotions and how to deal with them. So Stanford University, back in the 70s and 80s, did a marshmallow experiment. Anyone ever heard of this? Uh, it's an interesting thing. In fact, if you just Google marshmallow experiment Stanford, uh, you'll find this. A psychologist sat down with kids, and they brought them into a room, and they said, I will give you a marshmallow, and you can have this marshmallow right now. But, 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 if you will wait 15 minutes, I'll give you a second marshmallow. <gasps> no way. And you should just see the kids' faces. Go Google it tonight and just watch their faces. And here's what they would say. You can have this first one right now, but if you'll wait 15 minutes, I'm going to give you a second one, and you can have both at that time. And then they would ask, do you want to wait? And most of the kids would say yes. And so they would put one back in the bag. They'd walk out of the room. Film cameras would be running facing the reaction of what these kids would go through. Now, think about this. Uh, let's say this was keys to a Porsche. <laughs> that probably gets your attention a little bit more than a marshmallow. And you can have a second Porsche if you wait 15 minutes. How many of you think you could wait 15 minutes? Right? So it depends on what the motivation is. But this is about dealing with self-gratification. And can I delay? Can I delay gratification in order to have something better in the end? Right? That's really what they're measuring. This is about not just self-awareness, understanding what's going on inside of me, but the self-management. Can I manage the emotions and, and the turmoil and the thinking that's going on in my own mind? And you should see these kids as they're sitting there trying to wrestle. Some would just kind of, they would take the marshmallow, they would hide it so they wouldn't see it. Others would just, oh, they'd grab it, they would give in, they'd be like, oh, I, just, I can't deal with it, and they would just swallow it. Others would walk around the room saying to themselves, I'm going to get a second one, I'm going to get a second one, I'm going to get it. and they would do all these tricks and everything, it's just Google, you'll see it. It's amazing what we go through, and here's what science would say, and here's what the study actually began to, to measure out as they follow these kids throughout their life. Those who are able to delay gratification and wait those 15 minutes to get something else actually had better, better measurements in SAT scores and in schooling and in other areas of life because they learned how to manage their own emotions. 
Uh, there's a verse, maybe you've heard this one before, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Have you ever been in a situation where someone's really livid, really angry, and they're angry at you, or you're watching this happen across the street or so. Maybe you've been traveling through an airport, and someone is just really angry at the poor ticket counter assistant, right, who is there, who has no control over flights. They don't, they're not a pilot. They don't run the airline. But someone is just lashing out and going with it. Why? Because they don't have self-management in that situation and in that moment. They've lost control. Their amygdala has been hijacked, and they literally cannot think straight in that moment. The amygdala is in the frontal lobe of your brain. There's so much studies about this with emotional intelligence, this idea of understanding how do you control your emotions and understand yourself, how to manage your way through certain situations and certain moments and encounters that you have. And a simple marshmallow. Anyone like a marshmallow? I'm gonna toss it, so you have to try to catch. Anyone else? I'm right-handed, so let's go with this, Josh. Anyone else? Chad, I don't know if I get back there. That's, that totally hit somebody. Okay. There we go. All right, Trish. Oh, almost. All right, one more time. It's going sideways. Okay, sorry. Last one. Anyone right there? Okay. There you go. Perfect. Nice catch. Now, listen. I just threw you a marshmallow. If you'll wait. I will give you a second marshmallow at the end. Josh, no self-management at all. Just, if you wait, if you wait, I'll give you a second one afterwards. So just, and if you didn't get one, if you just see me afterwards, I'll give you two. But this idea of self-awareness, okay, is important. Self-management is important. This idea of understanding why I do what I do, how do I navigate through emotions, EQ is a better indicator of health, success, and advantage in life more than your IQ. That's what studies are showing. Everyone can get better relationally. Your IQ might be set, but your EQ can be worked on. We see that later in Joseph's life. And so with the time I got left, I want to kind of rattle through a few things that I think as I was looking at this series, kind of saying, okay, how do we help parents invest in their kids' relationships and to help them learn to leverage their lives? What are some of those things I'd love for, for parents to kind of hear and for us to see? These principles apply across friendships and in every arena in life. You could take this and go with it. Here's what I would say. Uh, one is be safe and be for. Be a safe place and a safe person that you can help process relationships, stress, and life with your kids. Be safe and be for them. Be a safe place relationally with your kid and with your friends, able to help process through the hurts and the headaches that come with life. How many of you have ever been hurt in life? It's going to happen. So be a safe place for your kids to help process that hurt to help process the headaches that come in life, to help them answer the questions and to wrestle with your questions, to champion them through those questions and through those struggles in life. One of the most important relational verses, I think, in the entire Bible is Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I promise you, if you live this verse out in your home, it will make a drastic difference relationally. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. When your kid is happy, be excited with them. Don't rain on their parade. Be excited with them. Does that mean there's other questions that need to be answered? Probably, but maybe not right in that moment. Celebrate. Learn to be a home that celebrates one another. And be a home that champions one another when life's headaches and hurts come your way, that you mourn with someone. Here's how you mourn with someone. I'm really sorry that happened. Would you tell me a little bit more about that? And then you shut up. That's how you do it. For those of you who need instruction, there you go. That's how you mourn with someone. Here's how you don't mourn with someone. Man, that really stinks. Here's the five things you need to do to overcome that. That's not mourning with someone, okay? That's giving someone a game plan and some more things to go do. What do they need in that moment when they're hurting is someone to come alongside, sit on the curb with them and say, I'm really sorry that happened. I can't imagine hearing that from your friend. Could you tell me what, what you were thinking when that happened? And then you just listen. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If you live that out in your home and in your friendships and in your marriage, I promise you, it's like a glue for your relationship. It will live out and help you before your kids. Before them. Be a champion for them in all areas of life. That doesn't mean they get to do whatever they want. Okay? You be for them, which means you discipline for their good. Discipline matters in parenting. How you do it really matters in parenting. You discipline for their future good and their current reality good. Okay? That's what you're trying to train. That's what you're trying to champion. Be for them. Cheer for them in every season. For their current good, their future good, we are for them, not against them, even when they feel like you're against them. How many of you have driven up Mount Lemmon before? You ever recognize the guardrails are on the side? Why are they there? It's a real simple question. Why are the guardrails there on the edge of the cliff? To keep you on the road, right? Boundaries. Healthy boundaries are like guardrails. They keep you moving forward on the road, keep you from going over the cliff where bad things happen, right? So if parenting, that means I'm for their good, which means sometimes there's guardrails, sometimes there's boundaries. Why? Because it's for your good. It's to keep you on the road, moving forward in life. I don't want you to go over the cliff because I know damage happens then, hurt happens then. And so I'm for your good. Secondly, speak life. Be a person, whether it's friendships or whether you're a parent doing this for your kid, speak life into them and over them. Be a a mentor that passes along wisdom and helps and insights to them. Life lessons, I've said this before with my kids. My kids roll their eyes when I say this. I don't care because here's what I say. Hey, here's a life lesson. And what that means is I get 60 seconds Because I'm a preacher, I know I can go long. But I get 60 seconds. I'm trying to limit myself. 60 seconds to give you some wisdom. So last last Wednesday or so, we're driving down the road, right? Over by the office, I see a person pulled over. They don't have headlights on. It's dusk. They don't have hazards flashing. And Callie is in the car with me. She is not even 13, right? Nowhere near driving yet. But here's what I say to her because we're stopped at the light and it's right there. I say, Callie, 
life lesson. You ready? She's like, yes. I said, look over here. You see this car pulled over and how it stopped and obviously something's going wrong with it. They're like, yeah. I said, they have this thing right here and I point to it. This is hazards, right? And they flash lights because it helps other people know that there's something going on and to avoid hitting you, right? So that person stops. Should they have their hazards on? Yeah, they probably should. Yeah, you should too if you ever get pulled over like that. Okay, good. Life lesson, moving on. That's it. Okay, it could be spiritual. It can be practical. But what I'm trying to do as a dad is to invest in my kids the same way my dad and the same way my mom poured into me to help me understand life better, to help me understand God better. And so there's 60 seconds. I'm telling you, this is a practical tool that any parent can do. Just learn to give some life lessons to your kid. Third thing was this. Teach the balance between independence and dependence. How many of you are parents are really glad that you're, you have older kids and that they grew out of the diaper phase? Can you get an amen? Okay. We are thrilled that they're out of the diaper phase. Why? Because they can do that on their own. Thank goodness. We're tired of messing with that, right? They can do that on their own. That's independence. We want them to be independent. There's a lot of things that you want to train your child up to have independence with, more than just diapers or being able to go to the restroom, right? So you celebrate that. You celebrate the independence, the growing independence of that. You champion it because you're for them. But at the same time, you're practicing because you're practicing this, a sense of dependence. We are dependent upon God. We're a family that's going to be dependent upon God, that we're doing our best that as we mature, and we celebrate you maturing, that we encourage and also celebrate you staying dependent upon God. Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow, nothing? Jesus like, nothing? Yeah, that seems harsh because I'm raised to be independent, right? You're raised to be independent. But Jesus is saying, look, you've got to stay connected to me. Does that mean literally you can do nothing? No, this isn't this idea of literal, you can do nothing. This is the idea of, hey, apart from God, you're out on your own and you don't want to be there. You want to be dependent upon me. I'm with you. I'm the one that's going to empower you. I want my kids to see that I'm dependent upon God. I'm looking to him to lead our family. I'm not just blazing a trail and making decisions in a vacuum. I'm praying. I'm seeking counsel. I want to know what is God's best for us. It goes all the way back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that you know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit or acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. We celebrate independence, but we also want to celebrate this idea of remaining dependent upon God. And then lastly, be an influencer. Train your child up. Hanak, train them up to be an influencer for God's good and for him in our world. We need more young people who will champion God and his good in this world. We need your young people to champion God and his good in this world. 
Jesus said this, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again if it's no longer good for anything? You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your good deeds point people to the great God who exists. Teach your children to be an influencer. We are surrounded by many voices in this life, but we need to teach our children to use their voice to speak about God's good in this world, to teach them to be an influence. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do, which means he's already orchestrating life. We're to, to live life along with him. And he has good for us to do. Each child has a calling within them. Teach them to leverage their passions and abilities and giftings for God and for his good in the world. Life is bigger than your story. That's what we need to teach this next generation. That's what I need to remind myself about all the time. Life is bigger than my story. Why? Because it's not all about you. And we have a culture that says it is all about you. And friends, that is not the culture that Christ teaches and models and calls us to. He calls us to say it's not all about you. It's about laying your life down. It's about using your giftings and passions to stir other things, to live your life for a greater story. We can share God's spotlight, but he does not share ours. We're with him. He's not just with us. We're with him. He's the one that's come to rescue. So how do you help kids see this? Serving. I think one of the greatest ways is just serving. Serving together. I loved seeing on Saturday we did the food distribution at Hollinger and just we had so many kids there serving right alongside. I love that. Why? Amy and I have done that with our kids going on mission trips to build houses in Mexico and taking them with us. Why? Because we want our kids to see it's not just about you. It's not just about your story. It's about God's story, and it's so much bigger. We get to be a part of it. It's awesome. So use your passions and abilities and giftings for God and for his good in this world. Serve. Give. This is about giving. This is about letting your kids know, hey, we partner with the church. We partner with different agencies. We partner with Compassion. We do this. Why? Because our resources are not just for us. Our resources are to move the kingdom forward, and you've got to know that. Why? Because someday I want your resources to be leveraged for something more than just yourself. So it's giving and letting people know that. It's praying. Do you pray for just your family, or do you pray for other people? Do you pray for other things in the world? One of the, the prayers I pray with my kids, uh, often growing up and with Callie right now, she's the one I'm kind of tucking in the most, is God, use our family to make a difference in this world for you. It's that simple. I want her to think bigger than just her life and her story. I want that for all my kids. I want that for your kids. And so the challenge and the opportunity we have is what are we doing as a parent to influence their relationships and to teach them to leverage their life for God's good in this world? That's not an easy question, but it's a great filter 
to be able to wrestle through as a parent or as someone who just wants to care about friendships. These are principles you could take all throughout. So I hope that that is helpful to you. And I want to pray to that end. We're going to worship. Um, we're going to continue in just a second with communion and a couple worship songs. And I just want to invite you to, to lean in with that. What we celebrate in communion is the fact that Jesus was for us and for our good. Everything he did was for you and for me. And we're the beneficiaries of that. And so we remember his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins that we could have life with God through our relationship with Jesus. So as we take communion, as we sing these songs, I just want to invite you, maybe to simply ask this one question. God, what's one thing you'd like for me to do in order to leverage my kids' relationship, that they think bigger than just their own story? Or what's one thing I could do to help influence their relationships around or our family's influence and their, our family's relationship? What's one thing from tonight that I could take and hold on to that and begin to practice this with your children in the home or with the next generation? So, Father, that's what we pray for. We, we pray that you continue to help uh, the parents in this room to become bold and healthy parents that invest in their children the best possible way, empowered by your Holy Spirit to do so. I pray for the families that are represented in this room, whether it's grandchildren, whether it's nieces or nephews, I pray that you'd help us as a church to invest in this next generation greatly, to do it the best possible way we can, to have the most maximum impact for you and for your good in this world and in our kids, that they would grow up healthy. So we pray that. We thank you for the relationship that you give us through your son, Jesus. We remember him and his sacrifice as we take this and as we worship in song. I pray these next 12 minutes or so would just move our hearts with the one thing you have for us to take away tonight and how we can leverage our lives to impact this next generation. We pray your blessing over each family here simply because you're a great God who loves families and wants to see them healthy and whole. In Jesus' name we pray.